Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Well Fed. Just a heads up, this is part two of my interview with the director of brand at BuzzFeed and talented photographer Jeremy Perez-Cruz. In this episode, we cover some tips for young designers on getting noticed for jobs and dug into Jeremy's relationship with photography and his process. So with that, enjoy the episode. When I'm out taking photographs, all I have to do is like look through the viewfinder and find like a beautiful frame. And it's almost like walking meditation, like Buddhist walking meditation. Sure. Where it's like a singular act where I'm just walking down the street and I have one goal. And like that is really calming to me. And I think that's why the past couple years I've like taken photography so much more seriously is because it gives back so much to me in a way that like I don't like I don't I don't know what I would do if I wasn't taking photographs. three questions it's like what camera do you use yeah. like how do you edit your photos mm-hmm. and then like how do you take pictures of people without them getting mad at you and it's like the last part of that question I don't I'm not worried about them getting mad at me mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm worried about me being mad that I didn't take the photo sure. and most of the time people are are pretty chill like you gotta learn to read a scene and I don't I try not to put myself in danger um but for the most part like the worst that's going to happen is someone's going to yell at you yeah um and certainly like it's exploitative as a street photographer I'm like taking photos of people without their permission but yeah. for the most part I'd like to think I'm doing like no harm I'm not hopefully I'm not like getting someone deported or sure I, I don't know what but um you're not looking to capture like any embarrassing no, moments or, or I just want to you know I just want to like frame a beautiful moment because mm. they're all around us and everyone's looking at their phones these days and there's something special about like paying attention and just seeing like all of this amazing stuff happening. So the other question I had that popped up was, is there a message or, you know, a kind of theme that you're looking to touch on when you go and take photos? Is there anything that like you're keeping mindful of? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, there's like two aspects and this is very specific to my photographs. There's two aspects. One, they're everyday scenes. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I think it's always fun when you stumble across like some crazy parade or like, you know, a fashion shoot or a celebrity, but like, that's not really what my photography is about. Like, I really want to encourage people to like slow down and look, because again, we're all looking down at our phones. Um, You know, we're all like on the subway with our headphones in and like, no one's paying attention. And sometimes, you know, there's people in need, but a lot of times they're just like really beautiful moments. So for me, like I'm always looking for some everyday blue collar like life moment that I can then frame in a way that's like cinematic and beautiful and somehow like impossible. That's sort of like the other aspect of my photography. Like I want to take these things that are like essentially like boring everyday scenes Mm -hmm. and reframe them in a way that makes them feel special because they, they are right. Like life is special. So that's sort of my approach. I think, that's a good answer. No, I think that makes sense. I think um, <laughs> I really like the the uh, thought about stopping and looking. Like yeah. When I travel with a camera, I, I you know I, I take that small one yeah. because I don't want to carry around a big one. I don't want to be looking at my phone. And just walking around and looking at everything so curiously is, in a way, very therapeutic. Yeah. And it just kind of breaks the you know the normal kind of habits of picking up your phone you know like yeah. doing all that all that extra stuff so i think um i think that makes complete sense and i like it because the question is like oh my god how do you see these moments and i'm like yeah. i literally just look and certainly those closest to me whether it be 
um, you know, Ashley or, or my mom or whatever who aren't photographers, you know, they always say like, oh, like, look at this thing that I saw today or like, oh, I saw that you would love this or this person. And that's really encouraging to me. Um, and I get, you know, I get people who message me like, hey, what do you think of this photo? Like, I didn't, I didn't take these types of photos until I saw your account. And that's like the goal, right? Like, one, I want to make something beautiful. So, of course, I want it to feel like special or hyper real mm -hmm. or however you want to describe it. But at the end, like if I had that artist statement, it's like, yeah, like if people see it and it forces them to just like look more, I think that's like the battle one. Sure. I want to switch over to some of the design questions because yeah. I, you know, I got a ton of questions for you <laughs> about your editing and you know, how do you get oh, these blacks so and all that yeah. stuff. And I would say go on YouTube, go on Reddit. There's like, there's a great subreddit that's like post-processing. Yeah, I don't know. I had to go through, um, I had I had all those same questions, and that's where I learned, and it's very much digging into it and learning from other photographers won't best, uh, you know mess up your time with I that. Mean, just to put a note there, like with anything, like I think this goes all the way back to like the very start of our conversation, like just experiment. Yeah. Like you know, like yeah, I took that, like I took a job at a printing press. I didn't. They're like, yeah, do you know how to use like at the time it was Cork Express InDesign. <laughs> You know, uh, like, oh, yeah, do you know how to use, like, InDesign? I'm like, yeah, totally. I had no idea. I bought a book, like, sure. you know, <laughs> and I figured it out. I went and I started that job, and I figured out how to do it. And then it's like, oh, like, you know, this gallery is looking for someone to manage their, like, Giclée prints and limited editions. Do you know how to do that? Like, you know Photoshop, right? I'm like, yep, sure do. And Definitely. Like, had to figure it out. And then going to Juicy, I was like, yeah, do you know how to build a website? I'm like, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And it's the same thing with photography, like. I don't know, like I'll, I'll watch documentaries because I'm curious how people move, but I'm less, I don't care as much about like, oh, how did you edit this thing? Or how did you, like, I just like futz around. People are like, oh, like, do you sell your like filters? I'm like, no, it's just me. Like, yeah. until it looks like I think it should look in my head, that's just sort of what it ends up being like. So in a way, to kind of pull one of the, the pieces out of that, it's like, every photo is unique. It's not like you're going through almost the same kind of, and I'm, I'm sure you have a, a certain look and feel that yeah. is somewhat uh, consistent, but it kind of sounds like every photo is, there's a different intention. So there's a different kind of approach to it at sometimes when it comes to like editing and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Like I've got, like I've made like a preset for myself just mm -hmm. to like save time because I'm sure. taking thousands of photos a week um, and I would die if I had to hand edit <laughs> each one of them. But I don't spend, and here's the thing that surprises me, I don't spend more than like two or three minutes of photo editing. Mm -hmm. Like if you have to, then maybe it's not like a great photo. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way that I got to that point though was like just playing around, like play with it, like make it really extreme and... Um, Harsh and contrast or yeah, something Yeah, I mean, like just that. like, I don't know, like there's no, that's the joy, right? There's no right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And if there's something you like, like try to emulate it. If there's... And it, maybe along the way, you'll discover something you didn't realize about your point of view. And that'll like force you to do something else. So like, I don't have like editing tips necessarily, sure, yeah. but it's more like, like get in it and like mess around with it until you see something that you like and then, then move on to the next yeah. thing. I think that's really it. Like, I think everyone should discover their own style. Like I see a lot of preset packs and a lot of Lutz packs and all this other stuff. And I think the Visco stuff is really good, um, particularly the Lightroom packs, but um, also like, cool, load a Visco filter and then like tweak it and see what you discover out of it. I think there's a lot of joy in like finding your own point of view. And a lot of that first comes through, um, you know, um, trying to like, copy's not the right word, but be influenced by another thing. But then sure. like, 
get past that and like find your own thing. So that's like, not to like belabor the editing thing, but sure. I think that's, I really want people to just like discover their own stuff. I had, um, so a few design questions. I think one of them I thought was really interesting um, for more of the younger designers. You know, I'm yeah. sure you get a ton of applications every day. And I've heard in some of my past guests that, you know, it was very much uh, earlier on, it was very much you get a portfolio across your desk and it had to be something like really fancy and almost disruption, yeah. disrupting your day. But like, what are you finding um, in terms of people who apply or other designers that grab your eye or, or kind of get you to actually stop and look at their work? You know, is there anything that they're doing in particular? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I think now more than ever, there's great designers. Like I, I felt like when, and maybe this is me not being modest, but I felt like when I graduated, I was like a really good, I wasn't like looking back at my work, I wasn't, but at the time I was like, man, I'm like way better than everyone else in my class. Um, and sort of true, like objectively, I'm like, yeah, like I put in more effort. Like I worked harder. I, learn different process but um i think more so now like i didn't have a computer until i was like 17 or 18 like i did everything by hand and like now people like have iphones and like tablets when they're like toddlers um so i think inherently like the tools are more accessible and easier and therefore there's like a lot a greater number of like talented designers out there and there's always gonna be the people who like work harder have more talent or whatever but um Sometimes, like, these days I'm usually looking for something specific. Like, I don't have a huge full-time staff, so I use a lot of, like, freelance contract work. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, I've got this project and I need, like, a typographer or a letterer or I need, like, an illustrator or something. And so, mm -hmm. like, I'm going with a very specific, like, intent to find a thing. But in that, you know, there's always something that, like, feels like I haven't seen it before is always, like, special. Um, and also when I'm looking for like a full-time like designer, I know there's a lot of, a lot of people who don't like, like I'm not looking for a jack of all trades, but I think generalists are like highly underrated. And I think if I have a designer who can do, you know, they can do an illustration. Okay. Or they know how to use illustrator and they can typeset really well and they can do a book, but they can also do a flyer and they can also do a logo. Like, I find them so much more valuable than someone who's just like a killer letterer maybe, or maybe they can do just this one thing really well. Mm -hmm. So I'm a fan of generalists. And then ultimately like you'll see a lot of great portfolios, but for me, it's about like talking to the people. Sure. I think people, and this is again, underrated is like being able to write well. So like if I can have like an email conversation with you, or if you can like write a really good, case study around a piece of work, then I think you have an advantage. Whereas in this day and age where everyone's like texting and using abbreviation and 140 characters, yeah, I think like designers who can like speak and write really well, or I think that they have like an incredible advantage because so much of what we do these days is sell, like we'll throw a PDF over the fence via an email and like that's our opportunity to sell. We don't always get to stand in front of the client. Yeah. So if you can like write a really like well worded, uh, like convincing email. I think there's a lot of value in that. And then ultimately from like a team building structure, like chemistry is like a huge thing. And I, people who are modest and kind and are team players, like I'll hire them nine times out of 10 over someone who's like the best designer I've ever seen or met. Um, sure. Like hard skills designer. Cause I, I feel like you can teach people hard skills, but it's like those soft skills are a lot harder to, uh, 
to like imbue into like a into like a personality, yeah. if you will. Not those, to say it's impossible, but it seems like those are easier learned at an earlier t- stage yeah. of development versus like hard skills. Where like I think that's very true. Where like when I first when I jumped into the like product design job, yeah. it was easier to learn like something like command line, sure, versus like actually going and asking someone to do that and like teach me that because yeah. like that's some people find it really hard to actually go up to someone and say, Hey, I don't know how to do this. Can you teach me in a way that's like really personable? Yeah. And, uh, that's usually harder to teach. But I think also like being able to even ask that question, Mm -hmm. like where, you know, and I, I even like admitted to it, like we've been taught like, Oh yeah. Like pretend like, you know, everything. Right. Whereas I think until you make it. Yeah. But I think that there's like a fair amount of humility involved to like ask, hey, like, I don't know how to do this thing. Can you show me? And I think people who are willing to, like, communicate well like that, that's, to me, that's part of a great communication. Like, even when it's, like, scary or it makes you look or feel stupid, like, being able to, like, ask that question and take the time to really learn it versus, like, fake it and, like, maybe do a terrible job. I think that there's a lot of value in that. It's just... I don't know, good team players. I know that's such like a... <laughs> no, I think that's true, though, because um, it's, you know, to the whole team idea, it's collectively... It's always, you know, unless you're working with one or two people in a situation yeah. like you're in an independent studio, when you have a team and you have one person that's just kind of like is always a thorn, it yeah. hinders everyone else. Yeah, man, and I mean, I've seen it. I've even contributed negatively to having like a, you know, a negative outlook on a situation, right? And... Um, I think it only takes one person to complain every day, all day, to get other people to be like, yeah, like, this thing really sucks. Yeah. And it's always something that I push and pull against, like, because we all get frustrated. And there are bouts of time, like, long, like months of time where things feel just really bad at any job. Mm-hmm. And, like, to, like, be able to, like, have the positive mental attitude and, like, push through that and lift, see the good in the people around you and the work that you're doing, I think... It's hard, um, but that's like, like I don't want someone who's just like happy all the time. I want you to be real, <laughs> yeah. but you know, like to be able to like endure the good and bad, and a lot of that comes with team chemistry. Like again, at my time at Uber, there were some like dark times where like there would be like a scandal after a scandal, and the fact that you know my team was like good enough to each other and like worked hard, and we had built all that positive equity that like when we took a hit. Like we didn't bottom out. Sure. Everyone didn't quit. Um, we had really high retention. And I think that comes with like all the right people being in the right room, like being good to each other. And even when other things aren't good, like what's within your control, right? Like sure. you can't control everything, but like the stuff that you can is like how you feel going into the day and how you treat the other people around you. And if you can keep that good, then I think like <laughs> that's the person I want to hire. Yeah. Um, last question. And I think I may have an idea of what the answer might be? Um, Which is harder, being a director of a global brand or photographing the streets every day? Oh, being a director (laughs) of a global brand. I I, mean- I got that one and I just couldn't, I figured that would be a good one to end on the questions. Yeah, I mean, there's no, um, I mean, there's no stakes in taking a photo in the street. Like, so hypothetically, if I was doing photography full time, right? And my livelihood was based on like gallery shows and commissions and print sales. And if I was being hired by say like New York Times to like capture a travel thing, like if I'm like, yeah, can you capture the streets of Morocco for our like travel piece? Or if Mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, go to Afghanistan and like try to capture what it's like after the war or like, 
all of a sudden the stakes are much higher. Yeah. But for me today, you know, I take photos because I feel compelled to take photos. But like, if I don't take a photo, like nothing bad is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, if I, I mean, and frankly, if I like, I don't know, like fuck up a brand design or something like in the end, like no one's going to die. I'm a designer, sure. but you know, people will lose money. Some people will lose jobs. Like, and for me, like I want to, you know, I want to protect those people around me, particularly my employees. So there's some stakes <laughs> in it. Uh, totally. Yeah. Um, before we end, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about food. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Well fed. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I've, I've looked at some of the talks that you did and it was, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're not talking about design or photography, you'd rather talk about food. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, what is, you know, do you have a favorite food? Where, where do you kind of land there? Oh, man, it's really tough. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know, I don't, it seems like I have a lot of interests, but really I only, there's only like four or five things that I care about. Sure. Do you cook? Yeah, I cook. Okay. I cook. Um, and like food is one of those things that, um, I think it comes from, again, my parents, you know, we, you know, they cooked at home a lot. Like we didn't get like a bunch of fast food and like I live in the Bahamas and Australia and we traveled a bunch and you know, my, my mom's like a good cook. Um, and so like, I don't know, like we always sat down and had dinner. And at sure. the time when I was younger, particularly, I was like, why can't I go to McDonald's like the other kids? But like looking back on it now, it's like, cool, we got to sit down and like have salads and, yeah. and friends would come over in middle school and they'd be like, does your mom cook like this every day? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then it wasn't until I went to their house where like, you know, we would get like TV dinners or like canned corn or like, not that there's anything wrong with canned corn or TV dinners, but it would be like, oh, I didn't quite understand like how different my home life was. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just inherently built this value of food to me. Mm. Um, and as I've gotten older, um, certainly I was broke for a long time, but yeah, as I've gotten older and traveled more, I just feel like there's nothing better really than having like a great meal with like a friend and having a good conversation. And I think when, in the same way that like photography is sort of like walking meditation, I think like having a glass of wine and like, a dish and like having a conversation over it, I don't think there's anything better on earth. Mm -hmm. um, and there's nothing that will center me more than like food will. So like on any given day, what are you most likely to eat? You know, if you had to, if you could just choose anything. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two cuisines that pop up a lot for me. And I think that's um, like rustic Italian food. I think it's just cause like growing up, my mom cooked a lot of it and it's what I first taught myself to make. Sure. And I just think like, there's like a lot of variety in Italian cuisine and I think there's like a ton of incredible flavor and a respect for fresh ingredients. And, um, I think like a chunk of aged Parmesan is maybe, <laughs> Always. maybe the best tasting thing on earth. Uh, and on the flip side, it's like Japanese food, um, which, you know, I had really bad sushi for the first time ever when I was in like high school, but I was like, Oh, I'll try this. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is great. And I didn't really understand it, but certainly as I got older and, better understood Japanese food and got to travel to Japan. I think like, like with anything that, um, and I, I don't mean to generalize here, but like Japanese culture, I think they take a lot of great care with things that they do, whether it's like, um, I don't know, like putting together a flower arrangement or if it's like learning how to make an udon noodle. Like people spend 60 years of their life just learning how to pull this udon noodle. Mm -hmm. And it's true for a lot of things, but specifically within food, 
the like respect for like the process and the ingredients and that striving for perfection, but never getting there. I think it's created like a cuisine that's just like so incredible and it's always surprising and it's always evolving in some way. Particularly, you look at ramen, which has so many different styles. I'm and so then, glad you said that. Yeah, <laughs> but it has so many styles. And then like ramen, for whatever reason, it's been very non-traditional in a traditional society. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, people started throwing corn in it and people started doing this. And then yeah. like a sukumen, like Tokyo style ramen. And it's just like, I don't know. And, and the food is so good. And traveling to Japan has only like reaffirmed just how amazing that food is for me. I need to, like, that's one of the next big trips i want to do so badly get out to like asia just japan oh, so yeah. um but with that said are you a ramen guy are you big yeah. into the ramen I mean, game I, I am i'm like obsessed with it it's one of my so, favorite things this is gonna sound so, <laughs> i'm the worst but like since going to japan i don't enjoy ramen as much at really home. oh because it was so good there it's, yeah it's just so different like yeah. and some of it isn't like i think um minka in alphabet city um, Very popular on the podcast. Oh so man, far. <laughs> that place is so good, and they're they're spicy miso. They do like a Tokyo sukumen style, which yep. is delicious. It's really really good, and I think uh, Mr. Taka and I think Ivan Ramen's pretty good. Ivan Ramen has a really good Japanese fried chicken. Yeah. Whoa. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there is good ramen, particularly like I we're fortunate enough we live in New York City, which is like such a food city in America. I think mm-hmm. there's only a few of them that are as internationally uh, renowned. Like, I think there's amazing Southern food in certain, you know, every, I was talking the other day about um, weird regional cuisine, like garbage plates in Rochester and Coney Dogs in Detroit. And um, uh, what else we were talking about? Like, just weird, like, weird, like, hyper-regional, like, American cuisine. Mm. Um, uh, Scrapple was another one we were talking about. I actually, yeah, Scrapple, I kind of like that. Yeah, and so there's, like, stuff like that, which obviously... Food is important in every culture, but like in America, there are very important food destinations that are like at a smaller scale, but I don't know. It's hard to beat like New York for like an international view of food. And so we're really fortunate to have good Japanese food and, you know, some good ramen, but <laughs> man, uh, it's, it's one of those things like I've been so spoiled, like eating. I did the same thing. I went yeah. to, I went to Italy. I took a trip to Italy and had the pizza there. And I was like, this is like nothing I've ever tasted before because it's, one, it's super fresh, yeah. and it's not like it's not like the pizza here at all. Yeah, and yeah. I'm so much more on the side of like I want it to be fresh. I wanted to have ingredient, yeah, ingredients yeah. that were just like dropped and not sitting in a window all day. Yeah. So coming back here, even though like I did have a a pie to myself last night at the bar <laughs> by me, but like it's just not the same. Yeah. And I very much kind of agree with that. It's like you felt spoiled on that trip, and now it's like you come back and there's not really an equivalent in a sense. But there's like the balance is like. I think there's like weird bastardized versions of cuisine that ends up being really good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think like New York pizza is like amazing, but it's like not the same as like Definitely. Neapolitan style pizza. And you just have to be okay with that. I think the difference is like the New York ramen is like trying to be the same thing as like the Japanese ramen. Okay. And like there's like this weird like apples to apples thing that now you're comparing. Whereas I think like it's okay to have like New York Chinese food, which isn't at all like totally. you know the regional chinese food and it's okay to have like new york style whatever because it's just like a different thing or americanized whatever mm-hmm. even look at like a hamburger or a hot dog <laughs> they aren't you know american cuisine but like now we view it as yeah. such um but it's okay because it's not one-to-one whereas like you get into that like weird gray area when it's like yeah this is like a japanese like styled version of this thing that's like 
just not quite as good as, <laughs> as what you would have there. Totally. I wanted to ask you... Favorite spots. Yes. <laughs> so, that was in your email, so I assume. So I'm curious... Um, what, what neighborhood are we technically in right now? Uh, this is Carroll Gardens. Carroll Gardens. Okay. Are there, is there any place here that you go way too much? Yeah, man, there's so many. <laughs> so, like, part of the reason that I even moved, like, I had first moved to Cobble Hill, which is a little mm. bit north, and then into Carroll Gardens, but the, like, realtors call it, like, Bacoca or some stupid shit, where it's, like, Burham Hill, Cobble Hill, Carroll Gardens. And now it's, like, <laughs> Gowanus is right across the street. Sure. And then, like, Red Hook's on the other side of the BQE. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot around. We have a few spots that we go to regularly. So, like, speaking of pizza, um, Pizza Moto, which is, like, right underneath the BQE here. Uh, one of our favorite pizza places in the city. Um, and then their, like, fork and knife dishes that aren't pizza are really amazing. Okay. So we go there. No one should eat pizza, like, once a week. But we probably go there once every week or two. I just destroyed a whole pie to myself last night. Man, and they, um, <laughs> they have a great wine selection. It's all like biodynamic, like unfiltered wines, and it's super good. Like, so that's the spot we go to because we can walk there. Uh, lately, Claro, which is a Oaxacan place that's over in Gowanus. It's in the old pine space. I think they just got a Michelin star like last week. But that place, um, it's a little bit more expensive, so we don't go like all the time. Sure. But really really incredible food like more traditional oaxacan style mexican cuisine um, and then the other spot that we go to almost you know at least once a month is uh lavaro which is over on clinton street and it's a basque style tapas place okay so it's like a northern spain cuisine uh, and it's man like there's a like i think lavaro has they have a cochinillo which is like a suckling roasted pig mm -hmm. And then they have these deviled eggs and they have a remahone, which is like a salted cod salad and their coquetas. Like, I think they have things on the menu that are like last meal. Like, what's the, if I'm dying, what's it like? They definitely, um, they definitely have a few things on the menu there. So <laughs> I think between those three spots, um, those are our like, yeah, like we, we, fantasize about those places <laughs> and then we're really lucky because we've got like uh frankie's and um prime meats which are right around the corner which is our go-to like we go to brunch at prime meats like every week yeah. at some point and um and you know then some of the bars have good food here too so we've got leanda and clover club which have the best cocktails maybe in the world like on that list right they're on okay. the 50 best list but they also have like really great kitchens with like food so like if you want like a great cocktail in this part of Brooklyn and you sure. want to snack with it, you're afraid to like drink on an empty stomach or whatever. It's like hard to lose when you go there. So that's like very, uh, that sounds like very well put together bar. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm also uh, kind of more used to like the divey, the yeah. divier places, which are nice. There's good dive spots around. Yeah. I was gonna, are, are there any dives yeah. that you, that you enjoy? I mean, we've got boat, which is like straight up dive. I think Brooklyn Inn, mm -hmm. obviously. Yeah. And then uh, Hank's just closed over on Atlantic. And that was great because they did live band karaoke in there. Ooh. And, but they, they <laughs> live were, band karaoke. Yeah, they were moving, but Hank's was pretty good. So those are three good dive spots. Um, and then Red Hook's not too far from here. Yeah. You know, 10-minute walk. So, you know, there's uh, Sunny's, uh, which is amazing. It also gets beautiful light at the end of the day. Okay. Uh, so if there you, you want to take some photos, it's really great. And I think uh, Bait and Tackle and Ice House, one of them closed recently, and I don't know, it may have been Bait and Tackle. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but those are three dive bars in Red Hook that sure. are great. And then, of course, Montero's on Atlantic. Yeah, I've um, there. More karaoke, I think, is like a theme of dive bars. But Montero's is, um, yeah, it's like shots and beers and well, <laughs> well liquor. Uh, yeah. But there was a time in my life when I was living up in Cobble Hill and a lot of my friends from Etsy, we all lived kind of in the neighborhood. And yeah, Montero's was our like end of night spot. <laughs> We're like, oh, one more drink. And like yeah. uh, Aaron Shapiro, um, who's a mutual friend of ours, one more drink, we'd end up at Montero's <laughs> and we'd have like a bunch of bad beer and some shots of Jameson and we would end up singing like, he would sing like Limp Biscuit <laughs> on Carrie, like something really bad. It was like our end of night stop. Like, and no one needs to go there as the last stop to do shots <laughs> of Jameson, but or it was karaoke of Limp Biscuit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it was our, you know, our end of the night spot for a while. And it was like, you know, a bunch of us who are just like single, lived in the neighborhood, all worked together. And it was just like, yeah, like we were totally irresponsible. We were too old to be acting that way. <laughs> Um, but you know, it was fun. Um, so we're coming to a close in 2019, uh, 2018's yeah. on, on the horizon and I'm hoping I get this episode out before that happens, yeah. <laughs> but, um, is there anything that you're looking to do before the close of the, the year? And then is there anything that you're looking to, uh, really get ahead of in 2019? Yeah, there's, there's a few things. I mean, like I just, I wanted to get prints launched, limited edition prints. So I just actually did that this week. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, I'm treating the, like my experience in working at, you know, uh, fine art publishing. Yeah, I was going to say it comes yeah, back around, right? It comes back <laughs> around. So I, I've treated them as like additioned prints that are like sign numbered, um, fixed number per size and all of that. Um, and in turn, I'm also working with master printers in Manhattan to get them the highest quality. So they're like expensive. So I think the Instagram audience will probably have a little bit of sticker shock. Sure. But for me, like, it's long game. It's, like, not about, like, cool, can I sell some $25 prints on Instagram? I want to have them, you know, uh, accrue value over time. And hopefully one day someone will care about my photography and then these prints will be worth something. They'll have it framed and they'll be like, yeah. this, is, this is a Perez Cruz. Yeah, this is an original one, <laughs> like, number two of 25. That's cool. Yeah. So um, that's something I've been looking forward to. I'm working on uh, some... I'm working on a photo book of my, like, the past, like, few years in New York City. And then I'm also working on a series of, like, oversized zines um, that I'm theming around different categories that are going to be, like, short-run, large-format, like, printed pieces that are just, like, less precious. They're going to, like, change all the time. And it's just a way to, like, get some printed stuff out there if mm -hmm. people are interested. And that's sort of, like, what I'm looking towards for the next couple months. And then... Um, Next year, I'm looking to put on a street photography conference. So I've been working on the branding for that and bought the URL and all of that stuff and been talking to photographers who I admire and trying to get that all together. I was originally trying to do it in the spring, which is a crazy compressed timeline, but it's probably going to be late summer now, early fall of next year, 2019. But that's going to take a bunch of energy. Yeah. But it's something I'm excited about. And it's sort of the extension of Street Weekly um, brought to life. So it's going to be you know, photo walks um, slash um, workshops, you know, like more of a design conference where people are going to talk about their process and share their work. And then we're going to do a gallery show with it and then hopefully do some screenings of some photography documentaries. So it's going to be all street photography focused, which I don't think there's ever been a conference dedicated to street photography. I have no clue. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a first, uh, I think. And um, 
yeah, and it's sort of like a bunch of like different ideas. I'm like, yeah, I want to do a gallery show. I want to do this, that. I just kind of put them all together after going to the brand new conference here for design. Yeah. Um, and just seeing that, I was like, yeah, like I want this for photography. And there's like photo shows sure. and there's photo talks, but there's there's I feel like in that world, people haven't treated it with the same sort of respect as like design and business conferences. They always seem like a sales event. So I'm yeah. really looking to make it a really great learning experience and sharing work and hearing from some modern masters. And then the um, final piece is like, I'm trying to get sponsorship to gift like scholarships to the conference to people who maybe can't afford to go. Sure. Again, like trying to give back and give the opportunity to, to different people to come. So. That's awesome. Um, See, the problem is like, you come to interview me and I'm so old at this point that I've done <laughs> so much stupid stuff that you get me talking about music and then like my like 20 jobs over I mean, this 17 is years. Yeah, now it's like, oh, now I got to talk about photography. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, and kind of, as I said at the beginning, you know, when I originally came into contact with uh, your Instagram, I was like, yeah, you're, this is a photographer, dude. You know, he's, he does only this stuff and, um, you know, come to find out you had all this design background. Where did the passion for photography come into play? Like you're design director and you also are consistent and in some ways just like exhaustingly taking pictures all the time. Yeah, all the time. And I don't say exhaustingly in a good way. I mean, I mean it's exhausting <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. I mean, there's no like short answer to it like again like my dad has a lot to do with it like you know he took photos and he gave me like a canon ae1 film camera when mm -hmm. i was in high school and i played with it a little bit and like when i started to design like covers for bands i was like oh, i need photos and at the time there wasn't much of an internet there wasn't really like a great source for software so i would go out and take my own photos for album covers sure. and then scan them and then use them and that was sort of my relationship with photography and then when I started touring, it was like a way to like document my life on the road and capture bands that I really loved. And it taught me how to use the camera. Um, and then I kind of fell out of it for a long time. And, you know, I always had like a camera around, but I wasn't like taking photos all the time. And then I moved into a building in Florida called China Glass and it was mostly businesses. And it was like three floors. One of them was a garage. And then the other two were like, condos slash apartments or businesses and it was mostly businesses and I think there was like five or six people who lived there mm -hmm. and within that um there's a couple of photographers uh John Deeb who's like incredible um he owns Deep Studios in Florida and then John Paul Douglas who's like now like an Instagram sensation uh who's since moved to LA but those two guys spending time with them and just seeing what they did they just took photos all the time and we had done a road trip to Chicago and along the way, we just like stopped along the side of the road and we went like swimming and, and did all the stuff. And they're like always taking photos and we would get a hotel and at the end of the night, I'm like, oh, what are you guys doing? I'm like, oh, we're editing our photos because we want, we want to post a photo a day onto Tumblr. I was like, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Like, I want to do that. And so I had like a Canon G10 or something or G9 at the time. And I was like, cool. So it really like made me look around because I was like, man, I have to have a photo each day. Mm. And if I'm not like taking enough photo, like when will I ever get the photo? And so those guys were a huge inspiration and encouragement. And that trip specifically really got me thinking about taking photos every day. And so, you know, I started a Tumblr and I worked on that for a little bit and I did my, I fell in and out of it, but I really loved taking photos. And then it wasn't until I moved to New York, it was around the time Instagram came out and I had just gotten my first iPhone and I would just like document my walks to work. And I worked in Dumbo and it's like cinematic and beautiful. Yeah. And, 
And yeah, so I started taking photos and I post in real time and take photos of the food at the office. And I just found a real joy in like capturing New York City. Um, and that's sort of what got me started on the like hardcore. I had always taken photos, sure. but like I think that trip to Chicago with those two guys and then moving to New York and the Instagram iPhone combo is like, oh, like this is fun and it's enjoyable. It's and accessible. Lot, super accessible. And then, you know, as I moved out of design, pushing pixels and more into management, photography really became my like creative outlet. Um, And I still, you know, like write and play guitar or like write and play music and play guitar and all that stuff. But photography was that thing that um, it was just for me and I could do whatever I want. And it was just what I wanted to do. Um, And it became really valuable as I moved, you know, 75 to 90% of my day is like management. Yeah. And you know, and then I do like critiques and creative direction and some other stuff, but like most of my time is like answering emails, sitting in meetings, having one-on-ones and it's stuff that I really enjoy, but it's not necessarily creative work. You're not like making, right? You've kind of like stepped away from that a little bit. And I was going to ask, you know, how do you balance it? And I think you kind of mentioned a little bit about, you know, having that urge to make something yeah. because most of your day is managing and doing more high level stuff. But in terms of time as well, you know, like going to a nine to five, I'm yeah. sure late hours, yeah. where is the time to shoot and, you know, really kind of dig into, you know, what your, you know, your focus, your medium. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten, it's gotten more intense. I think over the years, like I had bought, I've been shooting mostly with my phone and then, I had a little Lumix that I would take what I, I would travel with when I traveled for work. And then eventually I bought um, my Sony, um, which is still my main camera today. Uh, I think it was like four years ago. And when I got that, I was like, all right, well, this is an investment. Like I've never bought a camera this expensive. Mm-hmm. Do I really need, I'm a hobbyist. Do I need it? And so for it to be worth my time, I started like, I would leave work and I would walk home from like Hudson square or like whatever. And that's like not a short walk. No. And that was sort of my encouragement to like, all right, if I'm going to make an investment, I'm like a minimalist. I don't really own a lot of things. Uh, I don't want to own a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I put a lot of value on experiences. So like if I was going to own this thing, I really wanted it to be worthwhile. And it kind of supercharged my like, passion for photography because all of a sudden stuff that I could see in my mind, but I couldn't get the photo, I could like get those photos. Mm-hmm. And then that plus the like value, inherent value of like the object and then the value of the experience, I just like started doing it a lot more. Um, and the first few years it was like that. I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go like walk around on the weekend and I'll walk from my apartment in Cobble Hill up to like Harlem and take photos along the way on a weekend. Or sure. like I'll wake up, like holidays were always the best because I could like wake up in the morning on like Christmas day and like walk over the Brooklyn Bridge and like it would be like snowing or raining and wander around and it was like my tradition to mm-hmm. like take photos on these holidays. Um, yeah, and in the past few years, I think it became like an obsession. I would say the past like two years, I think I really started to figure it out and I started to have a real point of view with my photography and I think having that made it more important in a way whereas uh if i didn't take photos that day or that week i would feel like really bad about it because i wasn't like creating that yeah. thing that goes back to again like my input output philosophy like well uh, you know taking photos i'm like learning like how does the camera work how do i predict a scene like how does light work how do i follow this light mm-hmm. how do i see patterns in like 
the city and when to anticipate when a certain area would be better than other areas. So I'm learning all of that. And then also just like putting photography out into the world. Um, and yeah, like I just, I'm a passionate, curious person and I, I just want to like figure stuff out, whether that's like traveling and cooking or photography or whatever. Um, I get a lot out of it. Like it's, it helps me not feel anxious because I have like a, a focus of my energy and in a world where, you know, there's a lot of noise going around, like, all right, you know, I'm at work and like, I work at Buzzfeed, it's like a social company. And yeah. so there's like Twitter and then there's Slack and then people posting from Twitter to Slack and there's the Buzzfeed news channel and everything's on fire. And then I'm worrying about my job. And there's just like so many things that we're paying attention to. Like when I'm out taking photographs, all I have to do is like look through the viewfinder and find like a beautiful frame. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like walking meditation, like Buddhist walking meditation. Sure. Where it's like a singular act where I'm just walking down the street and I have one goal. Mm -hmm. And like that is really calming to me. And I think that's why the past couple of years I've like taken photography so much more seriously is because it gives back so much to me in a way cool. that like, I don't like, I don't, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't taking photographs. Mm -hmm. And I got really, like, I don't want to say bad, but I got like overly obsessed with it for a little while. And so now I set like time limits for myself and I think my girlfriend's happy about that. <laughs> but, you know, so now I like wake up in the morning so, um, you know, I can go out, catch the morning light because the sun sets. It's New sure. York, so the sun sets at like 4. What time are you waking up? Um, like 6.45, 7. Okay. And so I get out and I shoot for like two hours before I go to the office oh, um, and I walk around and I walk probably like seven to 10 miles a day. And then, you know, I try to reserve like a couple nights a week where I go out and shoot after work. But now that the sun sets and it's colder, it's I'm tough. not, I'm not doing it as much, which is a good thing. Yeah. And it lets me focus on other things like my relationship and, um, working on, you know, the street weekly stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just launched prints and like, you know, just other stuff that like, I don't have to only be out on the street taking photos. That's the thing that feels the most rewarding, but mm -hmm. like finding a little bit of balance, I think is healthy for everyone. So, um, since kind of, I don't want to say since starting, but you know, you've gained a lot of eyes on sure. Instagram, you know, you're over like 24,000 followers now. And as you mentioned, you started, you know, kind of building this community street weekly. Yeah. Um, where, where did it, where did it just pop in your head that you wanted to kind of start curating and, and seeing what other people were doing. Yeah, I didn't. Um, <laughs> so I think there's too many feature sites yeah. or feature accounts, which is why I own Street Weekly, at mm -hmm. Street Weekly, but I don't post anything to it because I'm saving it for some other stuff that I think is more important. But it came from, like, when I would travel, like, Ashley, my girlfriend, and I, we would, like, you know, we would go to Barcelona or we would take a vacation, and I would take so many photos on vacation because you're in a new spot and you're inspired and you want to, like, capture it that at the end of each day, I would just do like, hey, here's what I shot today, like in case anyone was interested. And, mm. and that stuff was like really rewarding for me because it was like forced me to just like do it and get it out. And then when I went to Japan on my last trip right before starting at BuzzFeed, the reaction to that stuff was like, people were thrilled. They're like, oh, well, when you get home, are you gonna keep doing this? And I was like, like, I can't, I don't have the time. I'm on vacation, but I don't have the time to post like 30 photos a day. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, like, let me think about it. And then I decided, well, you know, if I post at the end of the week, I just show like my favorite, like 20 photos that I took, that'll work. And I started doing that and it, I don't know, for whatever reason, it really took off and people really enjoyed seeing, you know, not everything what I would post to my feed. So it gave them some insight and like maybe other frames to a scene and mm -hmm. 
I think it really resonated with photographers. Yeah. Because it's interesting to see what other people see and how they discover things and people will recognize locations and different stuff. And so based on that, I, I started tagging at Street Weekly just so people knew. And then other people started tagging Street Weekly. And it, that wasn't my intention. Sure. It just kind of grew organically. Yeah. Like that. And so I was like, well, all these people are tagging. Some of these photos are really great. So that's when I started the like Sundays I post my stuff. And on usually like Wednesday or Thursday, I'll post like stuff from the tag. And now the tag's like 110,000 yeah. people. There's a lot of, of engagement going on yeah. and all that stuff, which is kind of nuts. I mean, like from my just kind of thought outside perspective on it is that it's just it's one of like that one of, I would say one of the beautiful moments through social media where it's just like people just kind of reson it's resonated with people they gravitated towards it because they're like feeling like they're getting some kind of like lesson or they're learning mm -hmm. from it and kind of has how you said that people just started using it and yeah. it's now grown to this big thing yeah, yeah. i mean Big-ish. It's not not big in comparison to other stuff, but yeah. I mean, for me, um, it's like multifaceted. So I think the one thing is like, again, I just like positivity, right? There's nothing mm -hmm. like I just share stuff that I think is cool, and I keep like a spreadsheet to make sure I don't feature too many people. I want to keep fresh photographers out there, and uh, I try not to feature too many people with like too many followers because like a lot of people already see that. But occasionally, sure. I'll do it. Cause it's like a beautiful photo. I think everyone should see it. Um, but for me, it's just like a purely positive, generous thing. And that's not to give myself credit. It's just like, it feels good to me to be like, Hey, like check out this photograph from this person who has like 200 followers. And all of a sudden, like all these people see the work and follow this person or like, or leave a comment. And it, hopefully it makes them feel good. And mm -hmm. it just spreads beauty and positivity in the world that desperately needs it. Yeah. I, I think like, there's never really a day when you're going through social media and you find like this beautiful picture and you go to the person and you're, they have like no followers. Yeah. And I, I, it's weird that we're talking like about like this, right? Yeah. It's like that matters, but like you're in some way you're like, this person should have eyes. Yeah. Like this person's work is really good. Yeah. I mean, and look, like I, I say this and you know, some people give me flack for it, but like I'm not the most talented person inherently. Like I work really hard to be good at the things that I'm good at. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's people who are just like gifted. They just like can see a photo they and push take a it button in. and it's yeah, gone. and it's just like yeah, and that can be really frustrating for people. Um, but you know, for me, like I work really hard at this stuff to like be better at it, to like hopefully show like share my vision of what is possible, mm -hmm. um, and that's like encourage some other people. Like I wouldn't say every photo I feature is like the best photo, but. I see something in it as a, again, this comes from me being a manager, a creative sure, director. Yeah. Like I seem like, oh, there's like this, you know, it's when you assess talent, when you hire people, you go, like, oh, like they may not be like the best designer, but like they got this thing and I really want to like bring them in and like encourage them to do that and grow. And yeah. so with Street Weekly, like there's some photos like that where I'm like, it's not perfect, like, but man, there's like this little thing. And I think if they get that little like bump and it forces them to be like, Oh, someone recognizes and encourages them to like get better. Mm -hmm. Then there's like there's a ton of value in that, and I love seeing that. Um, and that comes to like the second aspect of Street Weekly is that street photography is like so like it's such like a democratized like art form. Like literally anyone, if you have a phone or a camera or anything mm -hmm. disposable camera, you can walk outside. You don't need to hire a model. You don't need lighting. You don't need a set. You don't need anything. You can just like take a frame 
of anything. It could be a flower, it could be a person, it could be anything. And there it is, you've made art. And mm -hmm. so I think encouraging that idea, like, I don't know, it just feels like, why not? Like a lot of photographers are like, oh, digital photography is ruining photography. Now anyone calls himself a photographer. It's like, great. Like more people out there making things. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, to me, that's like not a bad thing. And sure, like there's a lot more noise, but who cares, right? There's like a lot of people who would never make art who are making art. There's a lot mm -hmm. of people who maybe would have gone in to do, I don't know, accounting, which we need accountants, but sure. like, <laughs> but instead they discovered, again, they're one of those people who have that like just inherent gift that they would never have known if they didn't like walk outside with like a camera or a phone and like make an image. And mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I think the more people who do that, the better. And, and then street photography on the flip side is also like anyone can do it, but the barrier to like greatness is like really high. It's like really hard to get a really great photo in variable conditions. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. you're moving, the subject's moving, the light is moving, the scene is changing, like it's unpredictable. And so it's really hard to be good at it. And so I think that encourages the people who go out there and just make a picture of like, oh, well, like they have something to aspire to and it takes a lot of time and effort to like figure that thing out. And I think it's like both sides of like a positive thing where like something to aspire to and then like easy access, right? Yeah. Um, I think this is kind of a good segue to uh, open up some of the questions that we got on Instagram. Okay. So, uh, did you get a lot of questions? Yeah, we got a, we yeah. got a good couple. Um, a, a mix of like design and photography, which is nice. I I didn't want to do all photography, knowing that we'd be talking about this and then getting into the questions. Yeah. But um, you know, some of them I I thought were really good, and I usually reach out on Instagram um, for the people who follow the account at mm. wellfed.us, and you know they can submit questions. So the first one, I'll do the, the photography sure. ones first. The first one was, uh, and I think you kind of mentioned earlier, were there any photographers that you admired that you may think uh, have contributed to your, like your style of photography now? Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, it's always changing. Like I think certainly for me, people I was close to, whether it's my father or like my friends who like lived across the hall from me or had a studio in the same building, like those are always, like those are always the people who influence you to like do the thing. Like, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have a story about like, oh, a neighbor or like a thing or something. Like, I think without those people, probably maybe I would have gotten into it through like design, but like, sure. I never probably would have really focused on it. And so I think like John Paul Douglas, John D, my dad, uh, are really the people who like got me going. And I think. Related to that are people in like the New York Instagram community. I think like Dave Krugman. Um, he's just like the guy. I think he sets like a really good example of like lifting others around you. He's always sharing other people's work. He's always encouraging people. And um, you know, like anyone with like two or three hundred thousand followers, I think he gets a lot of flack. A lot of you know, everyone's anxious to like tear people down. But I think Dave is just doing some of the best work around like donating his time to charities and like you know, he's helped me, like he's shared my work. And I think, uh, you know, I'm really like thankful to him for that. Um, and then just other people I've met on the street, like Andre Lero, um, he's doing amazing stuff. He was part of the Adobe um, residency and now he's, man, he's working with all sorts of people. Um, and, you know, he's like a young African-American photographer and he's focusing on, um, he just did a, a voting rights campaign in Florida to restore, uh, for Amendment 4, to restore voting rights to ex-convicts, which was, like, really beautiful work. Um, he did the Stories from Here thing where he went around the country and photographed people. And 
I think it's just inspiring to see someone like that just like doing his thing and he hasn't changed and he's really focused on the stuff that he's always done. And um, yeah, I just, I appreciate the people closest to me like that. Um, and then I think like, you know, there's always, as I've gotten more into photography, I've learned more, you know, about um, different photographers. And so um, Herzog and Saul Leiter and mm -hmm. um, William Klein and, uh, Vivian Meyer um, just saw her exhibit of color photography at Howard Greenberg Gallery, which is like incredible. Um, yeah, and there's just like too many, like Winogrand, yeah. I just saw the Winogrand doc. There's just so many great people in street photography and then not, you know, uh, Gregor Crudson and- uh, I love Crudson's work. Yeah, there's just like- So good. I mean, even non, like quote unquote, street photography is like hugely influential oh, absolutely. to me. Oh, yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, there's like way too many of those people to name, but I, I prefer to focus on, I think, the people closest to me, um, you know, inspire me and who encourage me. I think it's good to, uh, I don't know. I just feel like that is almost more valuable because it feels more like present and real than, yeah. you know, the greats. Like anyone can find the greats. And I think, you know, uh, like... I don't know, you see like Gruyard or Alex Webb and the stuff seems like impossible. Um, <laughs> and it's super good. And you're like always striving towards that, but just having some people around you to like encourage you and people who are at like your level or don't have many followers or whatever. And you see them doing great work. Um, Dom Marker is another one, another New York photographer who's super talented. Um, yeah. And those people, I think I get a lot more value from than some of the, the quote unquote greats, which sure, yeah. still, like, I mean, you can look, we're in my apartment right now. You can look around and just see like stacks of photography. Yeah. Books I saw the big Faden book over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, before we end, where can people find more of you and maybe stay up to date with, uh, all these new things coming in the new year? Yeah. Um, so there's a few spots. Um, I think Instagram is probably the easiest, which is at sleeping planes, P L A N E S. Um, you can see some featured work and buy prints at sleepingplanes.com. Um, yeah, and then you can always find me at jeremyperezcruz.com if you want to learn a little bit more about design. But I'm Sleeping Planes on all social media if you want to like search me up. But um, on the Sleeping Planes website, there's like a email sign up and stuff. But I don't know if that's going to be necessary just yet. I think Instagram is usually your best bet. Yeah, I think that's like now the new calling business card, new calling yeah. card. I mean, it's fine for now. You know, we'll see. Um, we'll see what we grow into. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Well Fed. This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino, out in Jersey City, New Jersey, and made possible by all the amazing people that agree to be my guest on this thing. Music and editing is done by my friend Kevin Bendis out in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. If you have any suggestions for guests that you'd like to hear from, you can go ahead and DM me on Instagram at WellFedPodcast. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear more stories from creative leaders, entrepreneurs, and talented individuals just like yourself. Or you can go to the website WellFedPodcast.com for more episodes. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye!